episode of Zero Cafe. A challenge that we've all faced with when trying to understand customer behavior is that the data just isn't quite there yet, and it's also a challenge to make it viable for commercial use. But, and since you're listening to this podcast, you're probably very much aware that these insights into purchasing behavior is a key to business success. This is where John Poulsen comes in. He is the Vice President of Innovation at the Data Insights and Consulting Company Kantar, and he's a multi-award winning market researcher known worldwide for his thought leadership and new perspectives on the way in which we conduct user research and product research. I spoke with him at the beginning of February at a conference and we spoke about his recent paper on developing a more robust measurement tool that can provide a clear picture of human decision making at scale as well as the techniques he learned along the way that can be applied in a wider world of research. So this is the audio recording of that live session. If you want, you can also view the live video recording of my talk with John uh, when you head over to zero.cafe slash YouTube. My name is Gideonse and welcome to Zero Cafe, the podcast where I show you the behind the scenes of optimization teams and talk with their specialists about data and human driven optimization and implementing a culture of experimentation and validation. This episode of Zero Cafe is made possible by our partners Online Dialogue, SiteSpect, Content Square, and Convert.com. So th- thank you so much for, for joining us, um, yeah, even on one hour sleep. Yeah, it's my pleasure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just ma- ma- uh, mentioned that uh, A-B testing is uh, basically what you do, so that's <laughs> yep. perfect uh, topic uh, for Zero Cafe um, podcast. Uh, so yeah, you, uh, you have a session uh, this afternoon at the Me Conference, The Real Why and Hidden Who. Yep. So let's start with that. What's your session about? Um, well, uh, it's some work we've been doing with uh, a colleague of mine in WPP, uh, uh, Ogilvy, called Chris for Grace, um, who's a very flamboyant character, and uh, Ogilvy have got um, quite an advanced viewpoint on on using behavioural science in communication planning, and uh, they're very interested in understanding human decision-making processes, how people think, and uh, link to things, you know, things like people's personality, um, and how they see the world, and so on. And... uh, the paper's about the story that uh, the journey we went on to try and work out a better way of measuring all that in, in traditional market research because it's, it's, it's actually quite a challenge to measure yeah. just the basics of people's personality. It's not as easy as MBTI. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, He tries to slip in MBTI whenever he gets the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and, then, yeah and then tell how bad it is. Yes. Uh, I mean, there's lots, of, uh, there's lots of challenges on lots of levels. And uh, the paper that we've published around the methodology, it's worth anyone reading to get hold of a copy. It just tells... Uh, the series of experiments that we they undertook to try and explore better ways of getting people to really reveal who they are and how they think um, and trying to overcome some of the the frailties in that process and some of the, the classical ways that uh, 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 people, people measure personality in particular um, are fraught with error um, and we we sort of dismantled some of the classical techniques and then try to stick them back together again using different approaches. Um, so what are those findings? 
Well, in a nutshell, if you were to say the biggest challenge when I'm trying to measure, say, your, your personality in particular is self-assessment bias. Yeah. I mean, you know, most personality as function of things like, you know, how agreeable you are. And very few people are going to admit that they're not very agreeable. <laughs> or, you know, this, this level of conscientiousness is one of the, yeah. the classical big five personality traits. No one admits to being unconscientious, disorganized. People just refuse to yeah. acknowledge that they are. And so so you, have to, you need to develop a question that somehow people can answer honestly yeah. without being yeah. because aware it, of yes. this. Yeah, because it's viewed as a negative, as a yes, negative trait. Negative. So, so yeah. what we... Um, What we were able to demonstrate was how, how that completely corrupts a personality test, because what you get is everyone's in the top half of some, uh, some Best of the personalities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone likes it. So what we, we had, we developed quite a lot of interesting techniques to try and resolve that. I mean, simply by making people aware of of their biases we found actually quite effective you basically we use the grumpy cat meme <laughs> uh, it was seriously it, it was the most effective thing we ever we, we're trying to work out how to get people conscious in a nice friendly way about the fact that people you know aren't very self-reflective about some things so we showed the grumpy cat uh, i'm then, happy <laughs> yeah yeah and, and then ask people to tell us some of their you know uh, how they feel they are compared to other people and we doubled the amount of moodiness for example out of people when they were exposed to that type of thing. We also discovered that people are able to um, more objectively look at their past, their youth, their growing up period more than their now. So I'm not going to admit that I, I'm, I, I'm commonly late for meetings, but I'm prepared to admit that I was late, to, late for school. Yeah. And so what we realized is that navigating through to the past was a good way of, and a lot of our personalities established in, in you know, teenage years and so on. So, so quite a good, rich way to mine, you know, real behavior um, out of, you know, out of the past where people are able to sort of process it. Um, and so, so basically by having people uh, tell you about their behavior from the past, yeah. you're You're, it's a lot better indicator of what they will do in the future. It can be, yes. But we also know that memory is not the best. Yeah. yeah. Well, for example, <laughs> one, of the, one of the interesting, we do, I mean, for example, you're, to predict whether you're a smoker or not, mm -hmm. it's got a lot of personality traits linked to that. Um, one of the most revealing questions that you could ask is, um, when you're growing up, did you cross the line? much with you know your family or your parents or school and the people that readily admit to that are 35% more likely to be a smoker because oh. uh, uh, it's you can understand where that's coming from they, yeah. they pushed things and one of the things they went into what, what they ended up smoking is on the back of that and that's a good example of how you know a, a small facet of your personality can have quite significant implications uh, uh, to, to your life in a sense um, We also discovered that um, we're, we're always, if you ask people how good are you at a job, everyone's better than average. Same as driving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's fame. If, but if I were to say... Um, Can you point how, someone how, out how, in the office? How <laughs> argumentative are you compared to your brother? 
I might be a little bit more prepared to admit that I'm quite, you know, you know, or, or compared to near field family members, yeah. I can be a little bit more honest about who, who, you know, what I'm actually like than the general. And what we found is, is that by asking people to think about themselves in the context of a, a real tangible people they know, their family, they were again, they were able to be a little bit more honest. Um, and I think the biggest leap forward was when we started to um, almost break down the problem into little bite-sized chunks. So I'm not going to say I'm disorganized, but I might prepare to admit that my bedroom door, uh, drawers are a bit messy. Um, and I might, and I could, I could ask you, when do you do the washing up straight away, or do you leave it a bit? Or I might say, how do you park? Do you just drive straight in, or do you do you sort of think about it and reverse park in? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and those high, those little uh, are sort of, we can be honest about those, and the, in themselves, they're not going to be. You know, it's a bit unfair to. It, it doesn't feel like it's. it's, yeah. it's I can answer, yeah. well, answer well, it yeah. honestly. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it's yeah. too personal. Yeah, and so you add up those t tiny yeah. little clues together, and you get actually quite a, a more reliable assessment of someone's core nice. in each. And so what we did was literally we deconstructed every one of the big, say the big five personality traits. Yeah. And literally, we tested out for each of the of those personality dimensions. We tested out hundreds of behavioral based little indicator type questions. And then we did uh, a technical principle component analysis to pick apart and isolate the things that are most revealing of each of the <coughs> primary personality traits that, that people could answer most honestly. And then the survey's made up of lots of little questions like that, that people actually quite enjoy answering in, in a funny sort of way yeah. because you can uh, you know just bring it to life a little bit they're more human human based questions um, if, you, if you get a question like do you park uh, right in the front or, or backwards yeah. it's like why would they ask that but sure <laughs> yeah. you know I have no idea what they can conclude from this but actually you can yeah. if you add it up a tiny little yeah. clue I mean uh, you can over interpret some of these things um, and so well, so that was one nice breakthrough that we were able to really demonstrate that we could be a, be a bit more rounded. And then what we discovered is is that um, how many questions did you end up with? Well, we a hundred thousand. Well, I, for for the big five personality traits, there's five primary person. I think we we did we we did five uh, over four, well more than five, we probably did about twenty experiments, and we might test out a batch of fifty or seventy questions for each of them, yeah. and then you whittle them down and. Um, uh, you know, it, it would be literally A/B testing in mm -hmm. a sense. You'd be yeah. testing out all these different different approaches, then working out which is the most reliable and which is the most comprehensive. There's, the, the, the other, there's lots of subtleties to it because a lot of these questions, you realise how dominated your white Western sort of humanity, your my perspective on the world. We wanted to we wanted to develop a test that works in lots of different languages and lots of different cultures. And we uh, the first raft of our questions had all this stuff about recycling because that we, we discovered was really revealing about your levels of conscientiousness, how whether you can be bothered to recycle. <laughs> it's such a really good indicator. And then we tested it out in various different countries and discovered that in most parts of Asia, no one recycles. And so you can't that those questions are precluded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when you when you deconstruct a lot of the the personality. Tests scarily uh, 
American Western cultured bias that yeah. the, the, the questions just simply don't translate across culture. So the, there's one of, just uh, with a lot of psychology yeah. research, social well, yeah. research. So right? we, yeah. Yeah. There was one particular element of, um, of personality we were interested in is measuring people's attitudes towards risk taking. Mm-hmm. And you take a, a lot of the um, it's called regulatory control. You take a lot of the classical tests and you start looking at the questions. It's like um, what's your attitude to whitewater rafting or um, skydiving? And you can imagine a retired lady in Singapore asking her that. that I mean, it just doesn't mean anything. Yeah. So that was one of the challenges, trying to think of um, um, things that could transcend culture and were stable from one culture to another. Anyway, to tackle that, the other, the other real, I think mean, it probably... Uh, evolutionary step we discovered is is that if you um, if you ask all these personality tests side by side you start to realize that they're all all a little bit interwoven Mm -hmm. so um, and the different cognitive thinking style techniques and different ways that we think they're all uh, you know as our brains are a mashup of lots of different factors all these different tests um, often have very similar questions um, and what we discovered is, is that if, if you take out the, constitu- cons- the core constitutional parts of each personality framework you want to measure and, and measure them all side by side, they start to inform each other. And you could use the results from one part of the test to, to um, validate another part of the test. And when you start doing that, you might, to, to say, to, to measure conscientiousness, I can actually validate it from maybe 20 or 30 data points from other parts of the uh, uh, other personality f- um, framework questions. Yeah. They, they start to introduce a degree of um, like blockchain-style stability because I'm not relying on one particular thing to determine your whole personality measure. It's made up yeah. of lots of little ticks here. So if one particular factor doesn't particularly cross culture, that doesn't fall, fall over my personality assessment. Yeah. So what we found is by combining multiple measures into one survey actually gave us a great deal of stability and a cross Cross correlation around cultures was uh, was higher than we were finding with some of the traditional techniques. So, having a, a quite a, like an Uber measurement protocol, when we think about in a, in a, what we developed as a as a measure of essentially the big five uh, personalities, but um, a range of cognitive thinking styles, which things like. Um, locus of control, my, my sense of control I feel I have in my life. Um, and the people that have, feel like they've got a lot of control over their life actually tend to be slightly more conscientious as well. Um, um, so, so is it like um, you have, uh, I don't know what the English term is, but you have some, uh, uh, some, some things you can slide and yeah. if you slide that one a lot to the right, then yeah. the other one automatically goes a little to the left. Yeah, so yeah, that, yeah, sort exactly, of that idea? Yeah. They're inter- interrelated, yeah. yeah. Everything, and, and we, t- we take every scrap of detail from the, from just, uh, actually the, 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 the way you use the, the, the scale yeah. is an indicator of certain personality types. So some people use the, 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 the far, a lot more enthusiastic in the way that these scales, other people are very measured, and that correlates with um, regulatory control. I mean, risk takers tend to, yeah. <laughs> and, and they will answer quicker, and they yeah. will, and they, they, uh, uh, and so those, uh, that, that metadata, we also 
weave into our assessment, <laughs> actually. <laughs> yeah. That's how a lot of psychology tests at university also uh, go through. They tell you it's some about something, yeah. it's usually about something else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, like say, it's yeah. not about the questions itself, it's about how fast you yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 stream your answer or something. That's fun. Yeah. Um, and then the final part of the story, I suppose, is the way that um, what we realize is that if you've ever taken a personality test, it's essentially 40 or 50 agree, disagree statements, and it just drives you nuts after yeah. a while. And you get really bored doing it. And what we what we're able to observe is after about the 10th time you're asked to agree or do serious, people just start to patternize their answers and you start to lose concentration. And so what we, what we put a lot of thought in is to how to keep people's attention going over the course, so maintaining that. And what we did is we broke the survey up into what we call thinking chunks of about three minutes of thinking and we themed them each in a sense around a sort of a, a construct um, and then what we did is we're, at the beginning of each thinking chat we'd have what's called a thought starter something that would like arrest their attention a bit so we had a, a if you if you win a million uh, euros yeah what would what you, would you do? spend it on yeah, yeah exactly yeah would you uh, uh, we actually have a question in the survey that basically <laughs> said if you won a hundred thousand pounds yeah. or would you rather take the money uh, or, or get slightly more money and have it only only a thousand pounds a month. Or do you want all the money up front, or do you want it in piecemeal? And that's uh, it's a fun question to think about. What do I want? And but that actually does reveal people's future planning protocols. Yeah. So we we would have little questions like that. We had like a question like, uh, if the Queen um, you found out was coming to tea. How long would it take to tidy up your house? <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. yeah. And if they say, oh shit, it's going to be a few hours, they're done things. No, oh, it would be easier my, just my, to rent another house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, a lot of people say, no, no, my house is fine. You know, yeah. she'd come around right away. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's really, I got a bit of assessment of. And then we would ask a whole lot of questions around that sort of theme about your, your, your house, your home, or whatever. And, um, and at the end of each little chunk, we give them live feedback about what we'd learned. So you are this type of, you know, little, you know, like a, a, a sort of, and we develop this sort of like slider scales and visuals and stuff. You're this type of person or that type of person. And so they, what they felt is, is that it was worth their effort, each little bit, because they knew, they'd start to learn that they were, they were going to get something out, they'd find something out about themselves as they went through it, rather than right through to the end. Mm -hmm. But it's a bit too late to engage them. And boy, did that have an impact on improving concentration. We were able to do some testing control experiments where we stripped out those elements of feedback. And we were, the people were giving feedback uh, like that. We were seeing about a 40% increase in thinking time address overall. And so that was just sort of, so the, the paper just tells all this, what we did, all these different techniques. So many of the techniques that we, we did develop actually could be applied in all sorts of different dimensions of research so you know I think that it was some good general learning I think that's why people like the paper because everyone yeah. can read yeah. it and take something out of it but, but does that loads oh. of spin-off methodologies on the back of it but does that imply that all the personality tests we have up till now are useless or very inaccurate um, yes does, does your research <laughs> they're, <show they're> <laughs> well, the, 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 they're long yeah. to pin down the errors they have to be long and so they're inefficient, I'd say. I wouldn't want to, you know, I mean, you know, Big Five um, methodologies, you know, it's 40 years old, pretty well established, but to measure properly each personality dimension, uh, 
the long form is is 40 or 50 questions per personality you know simply impractical to to do yeah. uh, uh, to do that at scale um, so it, it's more to do with the inefficiency that I think we've closed off yeah. and because you know the, the, all those tests in, in, in inherently have lots of sort of things I'm talked about but just done in a slightly perhaps less sophisticated way perhaps yeah, I think the big five so the, the the skills you use are based on big five right um, uh, well there's more to tell about that because what we realised is that um, a lot of the big five constructs are very academic and really don't translate very very well into um, commercial decision making. Yeah. So what we did is we actually tried to transpose those measures into something that's a bit more commercially useful. So I mean, yeah, you could, might find out during research, <coughs> you might find out oh it's it's actually not five dimensions but six or four well, that are not, useful. I mean the big five is just the architecture. Beneath that there's like loads of sub dimensions. I mean a good example would be um, uh, openness. Mm-hmm. Now we did this uh, project for Ogilvy they were um, they uh, they had a behavioral economic theory that um, people who were trying to lose weight were one of the facets that they were open Um, and their their reasoning was that they were open therefore if I say would you like a bar of chocolate you say yes yeah (laughs) okay now in actual fact openness in the classical academic measure is a measure of intellectual curiosity it's not quite the same as open to suggestion. Yes. No, and and the, it could it could the, be the, the exact opposite. Yeah, and so those two things are being confused just by the language. And so what we realise is that a lot of the these tests, the conscientiousness as well, is like a general construct that actually has three independent variables. I suppose that are really important to understand is that. Uh, it's a confluence of fastidiousness um, and the primary questions in the classical test ask things like how good your spelling is yeah. uh, but it's also about how goal-driven you are um, and uh, which is different I, I could be a really goal-driven individual where I I'm really conscious I want it I'm gonna win this thing I'm gonna go and do it and I leave a lot of mess along the way and I'm not very fastidious about the detail, you know. And then you've got another person who's, um, you know, very careful about... And and the classical test is more focusing on the careful and doesn't take into account this group of people who, in in, in many respects, you look on as being very conscientious. They really, you know, they work hard, stay in the office late to try and get things done, but they may may rush over some detail. And then there's another element of it, which is level of organisation. And again, that doesn't necessarily... I can be very organised... And, and therefore, I don't have no. to rush to get, you know, and that, 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 the result of that, I'm, you know, I think about uh, paying my bills on time and stuff like that. So, and like you just, just said, like, uh, it's in the old test, it's, it's all self-reporting. So yeah. you're not actually uh, uh, testing how, how organized are you, yeah. how organized are you compared to, to your, yeah. your image of a person that's being self-organized. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so, and so, to, so a measure of conscientiousness is almost useless for me as a market researcher, I need to know the sub-facets of that to be able to do something with. So what we, our, our personality measurement framework is actually 
made up of the primary ones, but the, uh, some some uh, some sub dimensions that we think are, are, are important for market research decision making. So it, it, it's built around that language because everyone understands what the big five are. But we're actually I'm more interested in actually some of the sub yeah. sub dimensions. So and then the question is, what can we do with it as, as, a, as yeah. a commercial company? We spoke yesterday with uh, uh, was the gaming company. They uh, yeah, yeah with uh, Sanoma and uh, uh, also um, uh, they, they had this. Uh, two-dimensional scale for uh, uh, for images yeah. and at a big image data bank and they have different magazines uh, so which image represent best uh, or works best speaks to the audience of a certain yeah. magazine and they had this they created this machine learning slash AI yeah. <laughs> system uh, to use this huge data bank of uh, 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 images and put it in one of those four uh, boxes which fits a certain audience of a yeah. certain To basically magazine. help themselves and advertisers yeah. predict what image would work well, best okay. on which... Uh, well, yeah. yeah. So how can we well, I mean, exactly the same sort of um, idea is, is that actually um, we've done loads and loads of follow-on work where you, you might show people different advertising messages and look at which personality groups each message appeals to. And you, what you can see is quite distinctive um, differential appeal between just subtle changes sometimes in a, in a message. It have more resonant with more, um, um, you know, different sub-genres of people based upon their personality. So what um, the way, the root of the Ogilvy methodology for developing um, any form of marketing communication is trying to understand the behavioral science of the decision and how people think about it what and what uh, what are the emotional roots to that process and so the test measures that so what they can then do is apply theories to communication development strategy development and what that's essentially where we've uh, had some really uh, um, great early wins in, in doing that and so for example we we did this fantastic piece of work where we tried to deconstruct the person the personality of people trying to give up smoking and we Um, we, we identified some of the, the core group of people struggling to give up smoking had um, they struggled to process emotions a bit and they're using smoking as a bit of a time out for you know, an emotional break they were incredibly fatalistic They had, what, um, what is fatalism? They were. Um, they they they, they, uh, felt, well. they felt the world controlled them. They didn't really oh, control them. Right, they, didn't, right. they didn't have a sense that they could actually give up smoking for the, with their own internal motivations. Right. They'd given up that they got. They had what's called an external locus of control. They yeah. felt that they should uh, be the worst, things, I guess. Yeah, things would happen yeah. that they didn't have Regardless much control of what over. They so do. there's nothing yeah. much I could do to give up. Okay. And then we also discovered that they were very what's called promotion orientated, and that they were. I mean, they were. They had a sort of. It's not just risk taking. Is that they were. They were, sort of go getting, goal orientated, and, and a bit rebellious. I mean, that's the root of going into smoking. It's got an association with rebelliousness. And then you, the, the the most critical thing was is that their avoidance of negative emotion. And, the, and, and, they, and the way they use smoking to process that. And then you start to look at your typical anti-smoking ad, and it's just like a picture of someone dying of cancer. And, and we did some really interesting experiments where we show people ads, just random ads, and then we drop in one of these anti-smoking messages and compared how smokers and non-smokers reacted to them. And essentially, 
the non-smokers just click the next button. <laughs> and we timed how long they would look at them. And they were literally clicking the next button almost twice as, or 50% faster than the, the, the smokers because they were, it was setting off alarm bells internally. And so the way they were dealing with those negative emotions it was to blank it out almost. And so these, it's not to say that those sorts of messages are not effective as certain groups of, of people to encourage them to give up smoking, but this hardcore group of people really struggle to process that. And the way they do it is just like, oh, no, no, don't tell me. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so the question is, it's a good ad for non-smokers, but <laughs> yeah. it's a bad ad for smokers. Yeah. Well, on websites, we talk about uh, banner blindness. Yeah. It's something similar. Yeah. You learn yeah. to ignore yeah, certain. Yeah. So what we so what we then to do we trying to then build from the ground up and a different approach to communicating um, the opportunity to give up smoking um, around solutions around ex what we call external locus of control reasons for giving up, like you you know you're getting married or you've just had a grandchild. These are wonderful external motivators to give up smoking and, and showing people achieving that, those, you know, those moments in life where people were able to actually actively achieve giving up smoking seeds the opportunity in their minds of someone. And then for um, the, the, capturing this idea that uh, the promotional orientated mindset, we developed some messaging around um, positioning giving up smoking is a bit of a challenge that these people had overcome and fuck you I gave up smoking the smoking you know it's sort of like a really sort of like the rebellious yeah, but then the other reverse, way around yeah, reverse engineering and then the fatalism of it all we we developed some, some messaging around tomorrow's the day sort of thing and then what we did exactly the same thing we showed uh, uh, people seriously about drop these ads in and what we're finding is is that non-smokers these ads are kind of wallpaper they weren't, they were, they weren't, there was no registered difference. But the smokers were, were pausing and looking at them. And we realized that we were, we were connecting, they were connecting. And so, I mean, it's difficult to know whether, you know, but it's a good example of how, by really understanding the, the underlying personality traits and, and how people think is a really brilliant starting point for developing better forms of communication and really, I think that, you know, that's, it says revolutionizes how you think about developing advertising communication. And, and that's really what Ogilvy have really pioneered. And they really are pioneers of that methodology that the that, that Ogilvy Behavioral, um, Center for Behavioral Science is really driving forward their business. And, and what, you know, what I, I, hopefully this test does is give them a platform to be able to implement that more effectively by actually, actually having a proper framework to measure a, a theory, because up until now, it's, you know, I have, a, I have a construct. I need to be able to measure whether it's true or not before I press ahead with spending loads of money on the, on the advertising. It sounds a bit like, like you're chasing, chasing a moving target almost. Like with, uh, I think when I read the book from Erin Meyer about culture, uh, what really resonated with me is that she said, okay, culture in itself isn't something. I mean, it's, it's always relative to another culture. Yeah. I think it's very similar with personality. Personality in itself doesn't mean anything unless you compare it to something else. At That's least someone on one other That's why we have those skills. And like you said, yeah. like uh, smoking uh, relates to uh, being rebellious. But I think 70 years ago, probably not. It was the norm. It was, norm. Yeah. It was socially acceptable. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 so how often should you be I'm revising well, <laughs> this I, I personality? Think, I mean, I think that you could think about the... Uh, the, the, the I mean... The, uh, there's a whole area of uh, situational relevance to the, some of the stuff as well, because I mean, my level of conscientiousness will vary. You know, uh, what on a supermarket buying a washing powder, yeah, compared to buying a car, my level of conscientiousness, uh, yeah, when uh, this, that's probably more significant. Situational factors and trying to understand 
um, the situational personality variance as much as, and, and in a sense that's what uh, time is, is a situational factor yeah. in, 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 a, in a moving decision-making framework. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the, the core personality traits are the same this time as 50 years ago, but the, the, the situation of buying and choosing cigarettes has moved on and therefore you need to understand that. Yeah. You under, so you, it's really important to understand that the situational framework and what you're trying to measure. And then often what we've discovered is actually this, our personality test is a starting point. You probably sometimes have to add, bolt on extra little things to understand little other little facets. So for example, we've done a lot of work in the healthcare sector. Um, there's this thing called optimism bias um, that's uh, really dominant in your likelihood to take, take treatment options up seriously. It's, it's literally whether you think you're invincible or not, whether you think that you're vulnerable yeah. to, and, and, it's, it, uh, and you can see it with people's, um, say for example, di diabetic stage, was it stage two, di before they developed pre, was it, I don't know what Yeah, one is uh, before, yeah, two yeah. is uh, yeah. when, uh, yeah. when you can't yeah. get rid of it anymore. Yeah, the early stages, and what you... you Luckily, I don't know this. <laughs> if, you, um, if you look at, um, measure people's optimism bias, and yeah. you can measure it with a cluster of questions, it correlates with their likelihood of actually taking the action to do anything, go out and doing some exercise and, or do it, responding to that thing. And so, uh, in particular, we found that uh, personality is really important to understand for how healthcare applications and yeah. likelihood awesome. of taking treatments and avenues for encouraging people to take up treatments. The, the, the relationship with their emotions and how they respond to different types of messages. Some people really block out emotional advertising messaging that are too strong and other, other people respond to more of the practical aspects of it and they want solutions and other people have like a barrier to their confidence of getting over that, that first thing, uh, you know, the first step, they don't feel that. So if you, I mean, it's just, it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, when applying this, for example, to buying behavior, yeah. um, uh, when, I when I give presentations and I, I talk about, uh, uh, you have also the, the 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 experience of that person might very uh, have a big impact on the uh, their expert level on buying something. Like, for example, I'm the expert of buying wine. Yeah. Maybe I'm very. Um, uh, influential <laughs> being influenced by my by whatever my friends do or whatever I, I buy I look at my friends first yep. but when it comes to wine I'm the expert yeah yeah, yeah. so uh, please go away uh, friends yeah. uh, you don't know nothing about this I'm the one expert yeah, yeah. I'll tell you yeah. uh, I'm not gonna listen to you anyway yeah so and how far is personality uh, a predictor for buying behavior um, how, how much uh, it's not gonna be 100% <laughs> obvious um, we, one of the things we've very specifically woven into into our measure is um, the sort of hedonic framework which you make decisions. So you know whether you're using your feelings to make decisions and what and what information you feel you need to make a decision. We've retooled um, regulatory control, a sort of risk-taking thing. Actually, the, the questions we, we devised centered around how much inf information you need to make a decision. If you're buying a car, do you need to go and do some research for us, or just just go down to the showroom and jump in a car and, and see what feels nice? Yeah. Um, but what you've just identified is one of the um, this sense of self-confidence in your own knowledge and your decision-making skills, and that will vary. Yeah. Uh, some 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 
some people have a lot more self-confidence um, and it's one of the dimensions we mentioned, sort of, it's called locus of control, your sense of self-confidence, your ability yeah. to make your own decisions. Which might be um, correct or not. But, but <laughs> it, it's incredibly situational. Yeah. So uh, if I recognize that I know a lot about a topic, I'll rely on my own opinion. And if I'm not, I then might be, am I the sort of person that would then seek advice? Or, or, or am I now the person that would want to go and still work it out for myself, but it would take more time to work out? And there are, so that's it, you know, you pinpointed, Without that bit of information, in a particular buying scenario, I'm a bit blind. Yeah. And so, one of the things that I, one of my biggest frustrations with all forms of generic segmentation, in the sense we've developed generic segmentation model, is that you cannot just rely completely on that generic segmentation, saying what well, all all decisions can be flown and predicted out of this. Yeah. You always have to augment with 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 some extra things that are relevant, situationally relevant to that particular thing. And I, I think you pinpointed a really good example of that. Yeah, it's it's the the, the famous saying. Uh, all models are wrong, but some are useful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I, yeah. I do think that, that uh, we're just, it, yeah, yeah. I like to think about these as lenses almost, to look, yeah. I mean, so one of Christopher Gray's, that's his, his, his language, he's saying they're just lenses to look at the world and, and give a different viewpoint of, uh, of how to think about it. They're not answers, they're just sort of like ways to look at people. Yeah, and uh, I, I think it's also true that, uh, in the, I think you can um, reverse your example as well. So somebody who usually thinks he's an expert, but specifically on wine, he listens to his friends. Sure. So as yeah. long as the buyer behavior lines up with, uh, Especially with, well, with certain yeah. uh, types, yeah. you can uh, optimize for it, or yeah. at least try to optimize yeah, yeah. for it. I mean, I, I mean, it's almost diverting a different um, field, yeah. but I've done a lot of work on social influence, uh, um, and you realize how significant that it, it so Social proof, social, you mean? Social, well, um, the, uh, certain, you know, in the past, um, you, you'd have fashion, fashion things like mm -hmm. haircuts and clothing, yeah. um, music and stuff uh, were, 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 were deemed fashion-driven, and that's basically a level of social exposure. Because I can see your haircut, I can see a million people's haircuts every day. I know what's, um, and so those markets were subject to fashion yeah. changes. Uh, other things like. Um, what wallpaper was in your living room, I would not be so exposed to that. It's only when I go around to your house that I get to see, and so those, those types of choices, they're also fashion driven, but because on my exposure rate to your house, and so the virality of the fashion is very low on yeah. that, the, the, the fashion cycle's longer. And so you can actually plot it out. The, the more social exposure, the more churn you get of choice. <laughs> and really? Then, oh, that's and then awesome. if you go down to something like boot polish, where it, it sits in your cupboard, you only get it out now, there's no social context. <laughs> the, interestingly, the number one boot polish brand 100 years ago is still the number one boot polish yeah. because there's no, been no social influence driving, there's no fashion in that. Now, what's happened with social. Uh, 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 basically, uh, social media has opened up the house to social exposure. And also, it's opened up drinking occasions to a huge amount of social exposure. So now, I, I'll post a picture of myself having a drink. And what, we, what we've been observing is, is that I'm more, a lot more comfortable sharing a photo of a cool brand of beer 
than a regular brand of air. In fact, I did some analysis of, for example, whiskey. Yeah. If you, if you scrape like 100 photographs of whiskey off Instagram, and then you look at the, the top three or four brands of whiskey, you won't see them at all in any of those pictures. They're all the obscure little... It's, it's not cool to yeah, uh, yeah. be the, uh, with and, the majority. And so that's the essence of fashion, is, is that it is, it, it, no one wants to <laughs> be mainstream. And so that fashion social influence is, is deconstru uh, basically attacking, attacking all sorts of market sectors that once was pretty stable. And so the beer market is turning fashion driven. The, the, li the life cycle of beer brands is, is dropping down to from maybe five, six, ten years to down to two or three. And maybe I, think, I suspect it's going to be you know, faster and faster. And, and so that, I think that, that that's a really good example of a, a, a new thing you have to understand to understand human decision making is the influence of this, the social context and how it invades. You know, and, and the it's home awesome. is particularly yeah. vulnerable to that. Really freaky things. For example, we discovered dogs. I have a dog. Dogs. The number one social media accessory on Instagram. Dogs and cats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So dog sales have gone up. If you actually look at uh, uh, the rise of Instagram and the rise of dog ownership, yeah. it's correlating. Oh, that's that yeah. is it's awesome. Yeah. And well, it depends on how, how well they are taking care of the dogs. Yeah. Another freaky one is Christmas decorations. In the old days, you, you, you have your Christmas decorations, so you get out your thing, in your family for generations, you put them on your Christmas tree. No one sees them, <laughs> apart from your family. Now, whenever you put up your Christmas tree, you take a photograph of them. Yeah. You know, oh, my Next year, I can't take a photograph of, of I, I photographed that last year. I need a new Christmas decoration. <laughs> yeah. So, literally, Christmas decoration sales have literally just gone through. Like they, they've climbed about 30 40 percent year on year the last few years because <laughs> that, that desire to be able to show something new and fresh. Yeah, so my mom has the same color for 30 years, but uh, she is not on Instagram. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we're diversing. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's I've so got, interesting. I've got a presentation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so, uh, what uh, are you going to research next? What's um, next for you? Um, uh, we, um, I'm, I'm we, uh, you know, I talked to you about at the beginning about the the, the, um, the grumpy cat. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're we're in the midst of a whole load of experiments looking at how to get people to be more honestly to care certain things like environmental attitudes and stuff, which is really fascinating because some things like your attitudes towards you know, recycling and so on. Uh, so, I mean, it, if you ask people straight up, do you do these things? What do you feel about this? Would you do this in the supermarket? Everyone says yes, 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 yes. And, and you know it's not true. And so we've been doing a whole lot of experiments to try and understand how to motivate people to be more honest actually about their behavior and what they would do in different situations using, and, and I've got a fantastically smart uh, um, intern working for me, and who's literally spent the last few weeks digging up these really wacky sort of meme type visuals. In fact, I found this fantastic, <laughs> it, it found this fantastic uh, animated meme of this woman going to throw a bag of rubbish into the recycling bin, and she swings it around, yeah. and it and it breaks just as this way, and it all spreads all over. Yeah. And, and, and and we use that as a sort of the start of a dialogue, saying, you know, we 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 always face some of us face challenges recycling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that tiny bit of humour 
literally doubles the amount of people who are then prepared to open up and admit that they don't bother recycling. Yeah, that's awesome. So we've been doing, yeah, that's we've had a lot of fun with that. Actually. So you're still you're still gonna uh, keep on basically improving what you what you found to yeah. uh, make well, it better, more efficient. We're looking at um, one of the other areas is uh, um, income. Everyone says in a survey that they're rich. Or yeah, they, is that true? Well, everyone inflates their wealth, and a, 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 a wealth question wealth so and their height has no no correlation with wealth. Almost <laughs> li, li, <laughs> certainly no correlation with disposable income. Yeah. So what we've been looking at using the same idea of behavioural techniques, we've been trying to work out how do you measure? Uh, we're thinking about how to measure someone's disposable income by by their behaviour. So, for example, do you take a packed lunch into work, and or do you go out and buy it? is a, a subtle tell about your level of disposable income. So try and piece, piece to get that type of thing. So that, taking that thinking and applying it a different way to a different challenge is something that we're looking at uh, doing. We've had lots of spin-off methodologies come out of this work. So just sort of like exploring different things like that. Awesome. Cool. Okay. And uh, the, the well, paper we, we I, I, uh, spoke about at the beginning, yeah. where can uh, people download um, that? SMR, um, I'm here with uh, 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 the invitation of SMR. We, we just spoke to uh, Joachim. Yeah, <laughs> we, uh, we won the uh, um, SMR uh, Best Paper Award. So um, if, you, if you log on to SMR, if you're an SMR member, you can get it for free. Yeah. Um, I think we bought a license set. So we can, if, you, if you're really polite to, to me, <laughs> <laughs> send me an email. I can give we'll you a we'll add your email address to the show notes of the podcast. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, but, I mean, you know, if you've watched this podcast, you've heard it all, so you don't need yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Well, thank you very much. Okay. Um, yeah, good luck okay. with your talk. Yeah, yeah have okay. fun. Okay, all right, have excellent. Fun. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so right. much. Bye-bye.